This episode of Your First Million is brought to you by purple.com slash Arlen, A-R-L-A-N. Purple.com slash Arlen. That's where you can go and check out all of Purple's, what do you say, accoutrement, I think is how you say it. Yes, maybe. Fancy, fancy. Mattresses, sheets, covers, all sorts of things, masks, uh, cushions, all those things that you need to make you feel more comfortable. And they do it well. And they do it in conjunction with this podcast. So purple.com slash Arlen, you'll get a discount if you spend $1,500 or more. But go use that Go use that link even if you're not going to spend that much. Check it out. There will always be specials. And that's your hookup. That's your hookup link. Purple.com slash Arlen. Purple.com slash A-R-L-A-N. I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. Let's go. Welcome back to your first million. I don't know. Can you can you hear me smiling through through the speaker here? I don't know through the mic. I'm smiling. I'm smiling for a couple of reasons. Uh, it is truly a, a surreal time right now. So there's not everything to smile about, but there are a few things to smile about. Let me start. Let me start off with the fact that this interview is just amazing. AJ Volkman, lead singer, formerly of Nico Vega currently of 2TWO, and um, just a super interesting conversation. Like, I, I've i known AJ for a long time, but we haven't really kept in touch until recently we got back, you know, talking to each other again. And I mostly just saw her from afar. I never really got to know her. But as you'll see in the interview, she inspired quite a bit, and I think there's a mutual respect there. But I just, I don't think I could have imagined that this conversation would have gone where it went, would have started how it started, and just never, never stopped being interesting, from my point of view, to listening in to her. It's so cool and so interesting and, and, and slightly uncomfortable at times and slightly it was super vulnerable at all times. But just like if you really enjoy like real, real and not sugarcoating anything, if you have an open mind, all of that, I think this is going to be interesting for you. And uh, I hope that you'll you'll go and download either now or after the interview, go download the the new EP from TWO2 with the single In This Rough. In This Rough is a song that, uh, that I love, love, love. We talk about it in this interview. But it's about a lot of things. If you happen to be an Imagine Dragons fan, you might find uh, a lot of this conversation very interesting as well. Um, I'm also smiling because 
General Hospital is back. Now, <laughs> those of you who have been following along understand how much I love General Hospital. If you're, if you're new, if you haven't heard about it yet, General Hospital is my favorite television program, has been for decades. I can say decades now. That's, that's where we're entering. And it had been off the air since late May because of COVID, because they had to stop filming, of course, and their daily show, their weekday show, all through the summer. Now, what I believe, because I interviewed a lot of people from the cast of General Hospital a few episodes back, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. They were still talking about, like, revving up to go back. So I don't know if I believe that there are new episodes that were newly filmed. What I can believe and what I'm predicting is that there are new episodes that were already in the can that follow on directly from what we just left off of a few months ago, a few weeks ago, but they didn't air them at the time because they wanted to keep something in the barrel, right? They wanted to maybe have a week or two worth, and they're going to spread it out or they're going to play it and then catch up somehow, start filming soon. I don't know, but all I know is that when I saw that commercial and those tweets, my heart started to flutter, and I was very excited. If you missed that episode, just a few weeks back where I interviewed seven cast members, seven or eight cast members of General Hospital, um, and got my entire life, all of it, several syllables worth, you need to go back. You need to go back because it is awesome. So listen to this episode with AJ Volkman. If you like this episode, go check out General Hospital. Nothing to do with each other, but I'm telling you, it's both a really interesting conversation. Another thing that I'm excited about or happy about is just... Uh, I had like some health, I had like a health scare like a few days ago. It wasn't COVID related or anything, but it was, you know, I was a health scare and got like MRI done and kind of, you know, was prepared for what it could be and what, people, what doctors thought it might be and prepared myself. And what do you know, a test came back and it's not that, it's not the thing they thought it was or could be. And so I kind of, I found myself in a little bit of like, with more adrenaline, a little bit more lease on life. But I know that that's probably temporary, so I'm going to be cool. I'm not going to do anything crazy. I'm not going to make any big purchases or, like, any big decisions <laughs> for the next few weeks. I'm going to be chill for the most part. You know it's me still, so I'll probably still be something. But I just feel like, oh, that's, that's a relief for me and for my family and my friends and for the company companies that I run. And um, we're fewer than 100 days away from the election to get Trump out. So I am stoked about that. The last thing I'll say to you all before I get into this interview that I know you're going to love is please vote in November. Please, right now, you may be, depending on what state you're in, you may be getting information about mail-in voting. Please, please, please do this uh, as much as you can. This option, it's an amazing option. You get the ballot, you fill it out. And you mail it in or you drop it off somewhere. It's convenient. It's safe. It is your right as an American citizen. It is also your duty as an American citizen. Think about, you know, if you're out there crying and praising, and I don't mean this in a condescending way, but I do mean it literally. If you are crying over John Lewis's passing, if you are hurt by the uproar you see in the streets and the and the um, injustices you see on a day-to-day -day basis for any of your fellow citizens or for yourself, the follow-through and your duty, in my opinion, and I think in a lot of people's opinion, is to vote if you are able to. If you're of age to do so, 
if you have the ability to do so. Please do it. And mail-in voting is one option that makes things so much easier, and they're trying to take that right away from us. So use voting as an act of courage, as an act of citizenship, and as an act of uh, activism, as an act of militance even. Um, against the things that you want change. And, you know, you say you may say your one vote doesn't matter. Well, I'm talking to more than one person right now. I'm talking to to a lot of people, and you all can talk to a lot of people and so on and so forth. So please do not think that you do not count. You count some of these cities or regions are like two, 200 ballots apart from each other. So please, please do that. <clears throat> Losing my voice a little bit. Please do that and enjoy this episode. We're going to, we're going to do the code word. We're not even going to do it like at the end, like normal. We're going to do this code word. I'm going to look around in my room. I'm going to look around. Couch. Couch is the code word. Couch. If you listen to this, We'll do the honor system. I usually like you to say the code word if you've listened to the full episode. Go to my Twitter or Instagram. Arlen was here. A-R-L-A-N was here. Or email me or whatever, however you can contact me. And just say the word couch in a text or, I'm sorry, not a text, a tweet or a DM or something. And it'll let me know that you heard this particular episode. And it doesn't matter when you hear it. Because it always, these code words come back weeks or months later and they're really fun. So whenever you listen to this, couch is the code word for this uh, episode. And I just hope you all are having an okay time. I know I said the last thing I said was the last, but I do also want to give a shout out to anybody who has recently lost their um, unemployment, additional stipend, ran out. I'm sorry that the country has failed you in this way. And I have a lot of faith. I have a lot of faith and optimism that we will do better and that we, I know we can do better and that we will do better. And I hope that it happens soon, but it may, if it, if it takes us six months because we have to first get Trump out of office and then make him physically leave office when it's his time to, it might take just that. But um, you're not alone. You're not forgotten. I was you five years ago. Uh, a lot of my friends are you today. And so keep on. We're going to get through this. We are going to get through this. This is temporary. This is temporary. It has to be. I don't know if I can handle if it's not. Okay, y'all. Check out this episode. My name is Asia Volkman slash Reynolds, and I am a musician, and my band is two. My new EP is Pull the Knife Out. real before we start start yeah good to see you and and you know it feels like a lifetime ago you know that we know but so much has happened for both of us in that amount of time right oh my gosh i know so much has happened let me let me ask you before we start though um so it's a sensitive question i believe you have a scientology background oh man i mean i'm like a total spiritualist i'm kind of like all over the map so I just have sort of studied a lot of things in Scientology. I definitely know a lot about Scientology. Yeah. I would ne- I would never classify myself as any one thing though. Okay. So I probably know more about Scientology than most of the other things I know about because I I have so many Scientologist friends. Yeah. Um but yeah, so I do. I know a ton about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a Scientologist per se. 
Yes. So you have, so I don't, that's why it's sensitive because I have a very, very, very strong feelings about Scientology. Uh I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. Um, I got out of being a Jehovah's Witness and I have these strong, strong, strong feelings about it. I'm very much so an open person and 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 I want to learn about things. I'd probably be on the spiritual journey that you are on myself. It probably will happen. But... To me, it's it's with so much going on uh, with Scientology today. It's just it's hard for me to just skip over. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know if you know what I'm referring to. All of the things, like the whole there was a whole series that came out with Leah Remini that kind of. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've of, seen some of that, and Scientology is very specific. Um, and it's it's not your job to to kind of work with me on this, but. Um, I just had to, I had to ask because I feel like it, it would be against my moral fiber to not ask you mm. when I am so strongly opposed to that in particular. When I was a witness and even today, like my mom's is not, is not a witness anymore, but she believes in a lot of what they taught. I mean, she was mm-hmm. there for years after years of being Episcopalian, you know, she, she believes in the, the, t- the tenets of it, mm-hmm. but it's the structure of it for both witnesses and Scientology is, is so rooted. And I think you know this from Mormonism, like there's something in it that is so rooted in, it can be abused so easily. Absolutely. And I don't think we ignore that because then that would make us complicit. No, I, I completely understand what you're saying. And I think that's sort of where I draw the line always for myself with anything, with any practice is I don't conform to anything. And what usually keeps me set back from that is that I, I'm happy to take the nuggets that I, that, um, help me to like evolve as a person or things that I identify with or wherever the light is, mm-hmm. I'm attracted to that. So I like within Mormonism, I'm extremely attracted to like the family elements, the, um, the bonding, the idea that you are this like eternal being, but then there's a lot of logistical things or like, I'm not, not so into prophets and people that like, necessarily hold some sort of an authority over others yeah like I'm just not I'm not interested in that and I don't like logistical things to me it's like spirituality is very multi-dimensional and so I have a hard time conform like being very specific about what is and what isn't right and then with Scientology for me I, I got involved because I was addicted or I was um well when I was growing up I had almost like learning disabilities but more so like vast imagination and a really hard time focusing. So I ended up on prescription drugs really young. Yeah. Like Ritalin and something like that. Stuff like that. I took Ritalin for a while. I took everything. I mean, I tried Prozac. I did lots of different things. And I got to the point I was on this on Wellbutrin, which is very commonly used. And I don't like disavow things because it takes what it takes to get you out of times or whatever. But I feel that when I was on that, I was trapped on it. I was very like, every time I tried to come off of it, I would just like roller coaster and spiral. And Mm -hmm. so I had a a Scientologist friend who helped me to get off of that. And when I got off of that, finally, with the help of Scientology at that time in my life, it was like someone just pulled the shades back and all of a sudden I could see again and I just found myself again and I felt very expansive. And then I sort of just weaned out of it because I, I'm not interested in the money aspect of things. I'm not interested in people telling me, you need to do this. You need to get clear. You need to continue. You need to, this person's 
PTS, this, this person's bad for you. You need to disconnect all these like things that come along. And I don't know how much of that is actually the technology and you figuring it out for yourself and how much of it is like people sort of in their culture, imposing things on you and shoveling stuff down your throat. And I have a really hard time with that too. And, um, I don't, I'm glad you like, do. Oh, I'm glad you do. That's that's something like the the childhood you're describing to me is you know when the witnesses found my mom. Again, it's not all bad. Like I I can read at a at a level. I was able to read the Bible at like four or five. You know what I mean? Right. There, there's yeah. certain things about it that were were good, but when they found my mom, she had just lost. She had lost, recently lost her father, and she was mm. single mom, and she didn't have any money, and there was all these things. And I think that there's a. It's like salesmanship. It's like you know you're going to find a certain type of person or certain type of uh, hole that needs to be filled. And I mean that for myself. And then well. you get in there, and, and yeah, then you get in there. And so it's. I'm so grateful that you have that instinct in you to say, well, I know mm. what I don't want. I know what yes. I want to tolerate. I appreciate this conversation. I would. I would have the entire conversation be about this because. I, I like talking about um, things like this that are that are important, and but I, at the same time, I do want to talk about you and your music and like bring that back. Mm. And I, let's just talk for a second. Let's get back to like how we met and like kind of that world. What was that? Yeah. <laughs> like where were you? Where were you in life? Didn't uh, I see you in Austin? Didn't we hang out in Austin? At, I saw um, you in Austin. I don't think that was the first was time I knew no. your music. I think okay. Did you were you ever roommates with Alex? Thermopolis? No, but her. Okay, so I was roommates with someone who briefly dated her. Do you remember that? Yeah. She oh, was my roommate. She dated her. We're gonna bleep that out, Anna. We're gonna bleep out the name of that person. But yes. oh yeah, but yeah. Yes, bleep that out. Yeah, so I remember that. I was I was the roommate oh. at Blah Beep, um, and then <laughs> I think they briefly dated. Anyway, sh- I love her. And yeah. I follow her too. She's had a really she's cool, so like, funny, booty career thing. Yeah. And she's hilarious. She's so funny. And um, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time with Alex back in the day. Um, I consider her a friend and, and spent a lot of time with her. And I just remember her mentioning, for some reason she meant she was like, I'm going to go see this band. Like my, the roommates, I heard the word roommate or something. So mm-hmm. roommates. And I really, I honestly can't remember when I, how I first said, okay, I'm going to listen to this music or look at this video or go to the show. I can't remember that. But you're right. When I was on tour as a tour manager for an indie artist, we did run into each other in Austin. I still see the, like you were in a, like a van outside and there was this, it was like this bar thing. And then after getting to know your music and getting to know like your vibe, like you have a very specific or had a very specific vibe where I was like, someone plucked you from a different time. Oh, well, thank you. I consider that a huge compliment. <laughs> well, I, I, I still th- I still feel that. It reminds me of like the Linda Ronstadt's and the Janis Joplin's. That time where, you know, it's no shoes on the stage and you're just, it's just you and, the, and it's just like radiating out of you. Like there's just no mm. stopping it. And it's just this wild. And every single performance is going to be a little bit different because it is actually, you're actually seeing this sort of, not chemistry. What's that word? Alchemy. You're going to see this alchemy. alchemy on mm. Yeah. I like so, so I saw that and I, I had just worked like the, my first time I was working as a production assistant on a movie, on an Indian film with all these women. And it was at night and it was just this very odd, but kind of magical experience. Um, terrible experience in some ways, but just a really magical people. 
And I just said, uh, I want to produce a movie, an indie film. And you, from the moment I thought of that, were the archetype of, of what that person would be. Oh, it's so center cool. of that movie. That's where I was when, when I did, then did meet with you and we kind of had more of a conversation. Mm. Um, but that would have been, what, 2010, I think. Mm-hmm. Where were you? What were you? What was your life like in 2010? Oh my gosh. I had been just touring and touring, and um, my band had kind of been through so many different lifetimes, little phases. Like we had been signed and dropped from one label, signed to another. We had switched management like four times. We just like tried so hard to like sort of get the project going. And then actually, when I was just starting to feel like we were burning out, happened to be putting together this big video game trailer for a video game called Bioshock. And they put Beast in there and they put like the entire song in there and they cool. cut this track to it. And then the gamer community like latched onto it and just like the song just finally like kind of exploded into this life that we had been kind of hoping for, for the song for 10 years. So it, 10 years too late, <laughs> the song blossoms into this whole new life and the band it was really funny because we had been on this label who had kind of pushed this pop thing on us that was very counterproductive to who yeah. we were and then beast kind of exploded which took us back to the roots but it was almost too little too late at that time I was ready to I wanted to have a kid really bad I was ready to sort of have a more grounded lifestyle I'd been in a van for years I had been sober for years and years and traveling with a bunch of people that weren't. <laughs> yeah. And it was exhausting for me. I just wanted to connect with people and get to a place where I had my own life. And, and so it, w- it felt like too little too late. But then I, I met Dan from Imagine Dragons, yet, but his band wasn't really successful yet. And well, they were opening for you, right? That's what you meant mm-hmm. to open for you. Yeah, we were touring. He opened for us. So... Continuing that conversation, maybe a year later, two years later, I was then living in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And you all, as your former band, Nico Vega, were going through Columbus and going to play this like intimate venue. And I was, I was there, so there. And that's when I actually saw this guy on the side of the stage who was just really into you. And he had this vibe to him that was like, oh, okay, he's a musician, I can tell. Oh. You were doing these little videos with him and stuff. And, uh, and it was him. It was him. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this. I don't know if you remember this. Because I was in that indie music world back in the day. And I was very much like a mama bear to that. But you all stayed at a hotel that I put you in. Do you remember that? Oh, my gosh. You might. You don't have to remember because I know there were many, many nights. But in Columbus, Ohio, like I did with a lot of different artists who were on the road, I know what that was like. And oh my were gosh, like, you are amazing. <laughs> but no, I, I had some points on a, on a hotel. So I was like, yeah, it was, it was probably some, I don't even know if it was <gasps> okay. It was probably a, a mess, but we put you there. And I remember he was, he was there. So it was going to be like six of you in this hotel room. And you're like, no, it's perfect. It's exactly it's better than we get. <laughs> and I was oh like, my right. God. But then you said on stage. That would have been the lap of luxury for us at that yeah. time. And that's why I think it's so funny because you said on that st- on stage that night, you were like very smitten, very much so smitten. And you said on stage um, in this kind of basement kind of venue, you're like, this guy over here can can sing higher than I can, you know? And you were just so like, ha- you were, ha- you, it was an audience of one. 
for you. You were very smitten with this guy. Oh my god! And then all of a sudden, I can't even. I'm like so embarrassed. Well, don't be embarrassed. It was very sweet. And then, like a year later, I'm like driving around Houston because now I'm in Houston, and I'm hearing like uh, radioactive or whatever the first single was. And I'm like, are you what? Imagine Dragons. I wait a second. It was in that video. It was in that. It was in that little club. <laughs> I'm not so interested in in talking about the life and times of Imagine Dragons, but I do. I do find that it's it's quite interesting to see your your sort of role as, like I said willing to do an entire movie around the, the the soul and sentiment of you, right? So I think that there's something very special. I really do. You say it was too late. I think it was too too early. I think that you were before your time and, and after your time, you know, it was just, mm-hmm. so how do you, how do you have that as a solo person, as a, as an artist in a band? And then you're just sort of catapulted, it seemed like, into this Next thing I know, you're on tours and you're in, you know, there's these huge events happening, but then you're at home and you have these children and there's, you know, and then you start thinking about it. And was that jarring to you or is that like an understatement? Oh my gosh. I mean, it was so jarring. It was like, I don't know how much you know about us, but you know, it, it was like, I was just holding on actually by the skin of my teeth or whatever people say Mm -hmm. the phrase, but I, I, I was following this sort of, it was just this massive tornado that blew through everything. Imagine Dragons was like, it was everything that we needed because it gave us, I mean, we had, when we had Arrow, she slept, my first daughter, she slept in the closet in a studio apartment. Mm. You know, I mean, we were just like white knuckling it, crossing our fingers. Like he was going to these studio sessions with Alex to kid. And yeah. we were just praying that like something was going to come of that. But I had been in Hollywood for a long time. So when somebody says, hey, kid, I'm going to make you a star, <laughs> like, you know that it's not always. <laughs> so we were just kind of like, okay, I really hope something happens here, you know? And when that started to happen, it was like, yes, go. I've got this. I've got our baby. I will put my stuff on hold. Like, we need to do this. Like, I don't know how else this is, you know, we're going to make a living. We're both musicians. He was like, I'll go to law school if we can't do this. And I'm like, okay, that sounds really, but yeah. that sounds like so boring for him. You know, like he's a creative, like wild mind. So we were just hoping that it would work out and we followed that train and it just kind of also tore through our lives because he was a return missionary mm-hmm. and when he first got started with Imagine Dragons and had grown up in a Mormon community, so many positives. And then it a lot of negatives to that, you know, and it took us by surprise. I don't think I really, really understood the past and like um, how jarring it was going to be for him to move into this world that I had sort of been exposed to for years and I knew what to expect and I knew how to feel about it sort of in a way. And I was never going to be like the jealous sit at home girlfriend who's like a worry worrier because uh, I was on the road all the time and everyone I dated was at home and they gave me a lot of guff when I was gone. And I was never that person. You know, I was like, I know what you're doing and it's not glorious. So (laughs) I'm not jealous. Yeah. It's it's like you're, you're getting beat up every day uh, at a gym and then you're just collapsing basically. And if you have anything else, you're not really doing that thing that you're on No. And then the person at home thinks you're out having this life of this party that you're doing all these drugs or, you know, (laughs) something's going on. That's, and it's no, it's not like that at all. And especially when you're a vocalist, because it's such a fragile instrument and it's such a like balancing act to keep it going. 
So, Mm -hmm. and that was a huge part of my past too, was vocal struggles. And then Dan was having them when the band took off because you just go from not performing at all to being in such, you know, everyone was needing them to perform all the time. So then it's all of a sudden you're in such high demand and you can't keep up with it. So then it's steroids and it's all these things that are kind of imposed upon you. And it's not like you have to take these, but everyone's like, well, this is an important show if you miss this late night thing. Mm -hmm. So then you're like, I have to take these steroids. Mm -hmm. And then nobody ever addresses the fact that as a vocalist, when you're struggling, you're going off and on steroids, which is extremely, I mean, that is like, basically puts you in a suicidal position most of the time. Emotional roller coaster. I mean, we hear about emotional steroids. Like the way that I hear about steroids are usually it's like Alicia Keys right before the biggest Grammy night of her life. And she takes this shot and it's on camera. And it's just like taking like a flu shot or something. You know, it's like taking right. a vitamin shot. I mean, but don't think steroids like athlete. Think steroids like anytime you've ever been on, you know, you've had these different ailments someone some doctors put you on steroids but they Mm -hmm. usually say we're going to keep you on it for like a very specific amount of time your appetite is going to go crazy this this, isn't that and then they watch it but they wean you off right like and you're saying this is more like whatever it takes get you out there dance it is it is and actually you end up feeling sort of like this robot because Mm -hmm. you're just kind of being forced to do this thing and then what happens is when the steroids like wear off, you've, you can do a lot of vocal damage on steroids because you feel invincible. Mm-hmm. And so you can actually like hemorrhage your vocal cords or do things that are extremely damaging because you don't feel it, yeah. you know? And, um, and so, and then there's the emotional aspect of it. So we were always riding this wave and I had done it so much in the past. So I kind of was very familiar with the whole routine where it's like, you know, you don't have a voice, here's the steroids. And then you get through and, you know, got to the point on that first record, even where it was like, by the end, he was playing arenas and you can't cancel an arena show in good conscience. When you have all these people on the road working, it's everyone's livelihood. One show is like hundreds of thousands of dollars down the tube and the pressure is just immense. And then of course we couldn't always go with him. So we were home a lot of the time. In the beginning, I was playing a lot of those shows Nico Vega was opening up and I was on the road with my daughter and, but it got really hard for me too to maintain like my own road. One of us needed to hold down a home base and one of us could go off and make all this money and go do all this stuff. And that was very perplexing for me because being a creative is my livelihood. So then when the person next to you is bringing in all this money and it's like, they need to do this for the livelihood of the family. And yours becomes sort of this thing where it's like, well, it's not necessary right now for Mm -hmm. what, you know, someone's got to hold down the fort. And then it becomes hard to like rediscover why it's important because it's not survival anymore. And you know, from seeing me and Nico Vega, like so much of my creativity came from that place, a desperation to to show and do whatever I could to make, I was surviving off of it for years. Hey, It's Arlen. So I have an online course that I just started in April 2020 that's called How to Raise Capital for Your Company from Scratch. More than 4,000 students take this course right now. I just, I can't believe that. So more than 4,000 since April have signed up for this course. It is a paid course. You have more than 12 hours of information, like customized videos and audio that I spent a lot of time putting together. 
you have guest lectures, you have um, case studies and comments so you can communicate with other people. We also have a monthly live Q&A office hour session that happens every single month. Check it out. It's at Arlen was here, A-R-L-A-N was here dot teachable dot com. That's Arlen was here dot teachable dot com. And you can check it out today. There's also a brand new installment plan because I know a lot of you have asked me for that. So for $35 per month, you're in, you're in. Okay. Check it out. And you certainly could have kept that if you had the track of Imagine Dragons, but it would have, whoever was your partner probably would have had to be at home and had to do that for you to yes. be able to do that. So that you you then become, so then you go through this ups and downs, but I mean, part, was any of it like just beautiful? <laughs> like, I mean. Oh my gosh, so it? many beautiful moments. Yeah. I mean, I can't even express to you. Like I went to Paris with my daughter when she was three and we didn't take a stroller because there's so much cobblestone in Europe that I was like, Oh, it's going to be so hard to like constantly be pushing the stroller through all these streets and like folding it up and pulling it in and out of the tour bus and into the thing. And I could have just taken one and it would have been smart, but I took her without a stroller and we just like walked everywhere and I would throw her on my shoulders and my back and we would explore like, you know, go get baguettes together. And, (laughs) and I would just watch her. I had these little bat wings on her because it was like, October and she would just like run around with these bat wings all over Paris and it was just moments like that where I was like I just said this is such a blessing I'd never experienced anything like that and there's yeah, a show happening a, shows and yeah a show happening that night in Paris that was like the talk of the town the talk of the town and yes. I, what I used to love about the I mean I was I was I did indie and I did arena level and I did all of these, but no matter where it was, I love the, the feeling of I'm in, I'm part of a circus, a traveling circus. Mm. And there's this whole little world within that. Absolutely. But then it was like crazy because sometimes we would stay and I mean, Imagine Dragons was funny because they were always like, um, they've never been sort of these big sensational rock starry guys. Like we, they were staying in like, best westerns you know still and stuff like that and and it was always but it was like that you know to even to just be in nice hotel rooms every night was like yeah really that was jarring for me too like room service and I mean that was just like what (laughs) I don't ever need to go home you're in a million dollar rolling hotel too with these tour buses oh crazy I mean it was just a world I never really understood and and I think still get needing to get used to just because of how I grew up. And it's very hard for me to like also accept that I have more than other people in Mm -hmm. in times. It's hard for me just for whatever reason, you know, because of the way I was raised. Like survivors remorse a little bit. Probably. Like, I think um, it's an interesting transition to go, you know, I'm still the thrift store shopping, like rock collecting girl that I always was. And I think it's because that's how I'm so comfortable where I'm comfortable. I like to be in my sweats. I don't love glamour and fancy bags and stuff like that. It's just not my, my thing, you know? And we we talk to a lot of people on this, I talked to a lot of people on this podcast, you know, I was talking to Ellen Pompeo and to all these different people. And the whole point of the podcast is to really get real about money, you know, and to talk, Mm -hmm. really get real about, because I know so many people who think that, okay, once you have a million dollars, that's it. Everything's fixed. Oh my Everything's gosh. Everything's different and fixed. 
And uh, in some cases, it's, it, it makes, and, and almost almost every case, it does make life easier. And like to, to deny that would be a little bit much, right? Oh, yeah. But in, and also in every case, it just amplifies the issues that were there before. Or it's the, that whole thing, more money, more problems. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it yeah. is. It's true. Stakes and you are do, higher. The stakes yeah, are higher. The stakes are higher. It is. It does magnify problems, things like addiction or like if you're, you know, you really need to like know yourself and yeah. and um, never stop doing that work because it can, you know, money and fame and fortune, it can be very empty and isolating. It really can for people. And, um, and I think, you know, through the journey that we went through, I saw that my husband was struggling with depression, but I also didn't understand the root of like why and hit the the root of it was such an existential crisis. And part of it was because he went from being like a Mormon missionary to like so much exposure mm-hmm. and so many people also like coming at him with like perceptions or just, um, ideas, you know, people attack you when you get really famous, really fast. Yeah. There's a lot of that. Oh, sure. Sure. You know, and why um, you, and yeah. The why you and not me situation. Exactly. And it can be very vile and there's just a lot of trolling that happens and to know yourself through that when, you know, when it happens to you so young is near impossible mm-hmm. because you just haven't had the life experience to say, I love myself. I don't really care what anyone says, or I know myself and I'm not listening to those people that kind of comes with age a lot of times. And so, you know, he went into a really dark space and our marriage fell apart because of everything that happened. It really did. He just like overnight. And I mean, it was a long time leading up and then a very quickly, just the rug pulled out from under me. And at the time it was so awful and so hard, but in hindsight, it is absolutely the best thing that ever happened to me because it gave me this opportunity to strip everything away and come back to myself and rediscover my value and my importance and my life, like my, my connection to me. And I needed that so badly because I was so lost in the whirlwind. I was mm-hmm. just completely lost. You also, I remember that, that, that notice that was given on Instagram. Mm. <laughs> this, this is the time we live in um, where, mm-hmm. where you both were talking about that, you know, respectfully, we're, we're getting a divorce or getting separated. Parting ways. Yeah. Or, Parting yeah. Ways. yeah and, and just be respectful, which is what you hear, <sighs> hear often, but it's never anyone I know personally or know of personally. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, wait a second, just a few months later, do I see a, do I see a picture here and there and yeah. more and it's coming back because it and was, I mean, I don't want, honestly, I, I, whatever you're willing to share, I'm not, into, I'm not, I'm not wanting to like pro- probe your, you know, personal life, but I'll put it this way. One of your new singles in this rough, mm-hmm. I don't know if you can listen to a song too much, but if you can, this is one <laughs> I listen to it. <laughs> Quite often, it just speaks to me in a very specific way. The lyrics do, and then just hearing you sing the way that kind of harkens back to what I'm mm. used to hearing, which is a very you know selfish thing, but it's it's what I really like about it. Is this about your former band or is this about 
the that part in that marriage where you needed something to die in order for it to to live again. And like most music, it's more it's about more than one thing. At mm. So uh, great to hear your take on it. It's so interesting you say that because it that's always how the music works out for me. It's like I may write it about a certain circumstance, but then I realize, wow, this is about so many chapters in my life. Oh my gosh, you know, mm-hmm. this is a pattern and I'm writing this finally. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that came from a time that was actually the turning point in my healing when, during my separation, I, I had written some songs like Phoenix, one of the other ones that was more earlier on, right when things kind of happened and I had a lot of anger and fire and I was like, I need to rise out of these ashes. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, great choice for the, you know, the first, you know, the, cause that came out of nowhere. I don't know if you had been talking about it, but I didn't know you were going to do this EP in this. You style. know, we had, I had been talking about it for so long that I was like, I'm just not going to say anything. Cause it was like two years in the talking about. Okay. So, so then I didn't give any like immediate um, alerts that it was going to come out or anything. Yeah. So yeah, what happened was, the turning point in my healing where I really realized that like I will heal when I surrender and let go. And when I am set free from this and that's what that song is about. It is, it's pull the knife out. It's like, let's end the pain. It's nobody's fault. Pull the knife out, baby. There's nothing to forgive. That's Mm -hmm. what that means. It's like, oftentimes when we're wronged, we're looking to make it, make someone responsible for it. And when you do that, you give up all of your power. Because the solving of the issue lies in the other person's hands. Mm -hmm. And that is a very powerless feeling. And I think for a long time during my separation, it was like, you need to fix this. You, you know, you You hurt me to to Dan, to the circumstances, to Mm -hmm. my life choices, but not me. (laughs) I'm a victim. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) But, um, and when you do that, you, you give up all your power. You can't solve it for yourself. And I think there was a point where I realized like, man, I'm in control of my relationship to this. And I'm here because of all of the choices I've made. It doesn't matter if the person jumps off a cliff unexpectedly. Like I ignored so many signals leading up to the cliff mm-hmm. and that's my responsibility. Mm-hmm. And whether, you know what I mean? I, I ignored like this person yelling, I'm dying. I'm like, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm so depressed. I don't know how to get out of this. I'm, I, I'm going to try everything. And when there was nothing left to try, he had to go. Mm-hmm. And that was just how it, to save his own life, you know? And he had to go fall on his own and figure out his own thing. And it was the best thing for me because I was holding on so tight always, like a mom would. Like, I've got you. I've got you. Don't worry. Like right. I will always be here. I'm ne- I'm always going to be here. I'll always fix it for you. If you're in need, I can scratch your back. Like I will massage your shoulders. I, to the point where there was, I was never taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. And then you and he wasn't able to like take care of himself because yeah. he's always coming to me instead of himself to solve it. Yeah. And that's a codependency relationship, you know? And so, um, it was really good for me when he, needed to go and figure his stuff out because it gave me an opportunity to see myself and to let go, let go of him, let go of it, pull the knife out. There's nothing to forgive here. It's not your fault. You did nothing wrong. I, it's not, you know, like I it's own your my fault. part it's of it. It's like, yeah, it's both of y'all's faults, quote unquote. Yeah. It's also like, neither of y'all's fault. It's, it isn't. It's a circumstance. It's a life experience. Yeah. We go through life 
as these humans trying to figure out what we're doing here. And you can judge it all you want, but we're all just in the end of the day, trying to find the light. Most of us trying to just get the air and, and the balance and the finding, you know, your center. And in the end of the day, it was beautiful thing. And, you know, and the song is about that. And it really gave, it was that at that point I started to really gain my own wings. I just felt like I was a different person. I had so much forgiveness in my heart and I was just, the anger was gone. And it was like, there was a major turning point, you know? And I think after that, he felt that freedom in our dynamic. Mm-hmm. He felt the, the release, the air, the love, because you can't really love someone if you're holding on to them so tight. You can't love them the way they deserve to be loved, which is, I love you unconditionally. Like you can go jump off 50 cliffs and I'm still going to love you. You know, I don't need to have you for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when he, or I don't need to fix it. I don't need to be the source of your (laughs) happiness or like, I don't need to be the fixer. Hey, there's plenty. I think Alanis Morissette was all of our therapists for certain years. Love (laughs) that. That little pill. Yeah. Songs about that, about uh, going away. You owe me nothing. That's a good song. About mm-hmm. um, and I, I wish we had so much more time. We only have a few minutes left and I, mm, I feel like okay. we the surface, but so your, your new music project, why wasn't a solo and, and how important, you know, what can you say about your bandmate today? Oh my gosh. Well, First off, he's pretty much one of my best friends in the whole world, which is really great because we just know each other so well. Shout him out. Shout out his name. Danny Pant. Don't you guys all just know this stuff? No, I'm kidding. Um, This audience audience is going to be introduced to you today. Oh, that's so cool. Well, hopefully I didn't make a total fool of myself, but um, (laughs) Danny Pant, and he's actually the drummer, producer. He makes our videos. He's a director, editor. He's such an incredible partner to have. And we've been together for a long time in Nico Vega. And then um, his his wife and I are like also best friends and his kids are like best friends with my kids. So we're just very close. And naturally, I think creativity always blossoms between the two of us. We always have sort of this like, he's a, such a huge cheerleader for me and support system. and And so I feel very seen with him. And he encourages me to be the, be and fully express myself. And so our music comes together very naturally. I was, you know, writing a lot of voice memos and songs acoustically, and I would send them to him and he would sort of like bring them to life through his production. And then that's how the songs took shape. And it just kind of like went on that way for a couple of years, actually. And then we kind of went, we like weeded out a bunch of stuff and kind of put together this collection that felt like almost like the five stages of grief. Mm. And coming into forgiveness, which is where the album starts. And, and then it kind of became about more, not just my like separation or marriage or rediscovery of self, but also just like things that I had been through in my lifetime, like as a woman. And he just supported all of that. And I love that. So he's the best. Two quick questions. Mm-hmm. I wanted to first just ask you briefly, when I first saw Magic Dragons, I said, oh, well, they're, they're, they're Mormon. And I know what they say about gay people and being a very incredibly gay person. <laughs> so I just, you know, how do I have that in so many things? How do I recognize yeah. this with that and this and that? And I was so, I can't tell you how delighted and proud I was to see all of the work that started coming out from both of you, mm. you and Dan, 
about being gay as a Mormon and then beyond that and then the mm. musical event. So can you just speak to the why? Like, why did you feel that that was the thing to address? I mean, personally, because when you see a fire, you have to put it out. And I feel like that's been such a journey and it's going to continue to be such a journey for a long time. But um, it's something that just for us was also such a fundamental part of how we connected. It was just such a a thing for me, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and it was something that I felt like he really needed to understand. And so it blossomed out of us exploring that together and really finding how to love and accept people that had those opinions Mm -hmm. for me. Um, And then to kind of destigmatize their ideas and feelings about the LGBTQ community. And so um, I think one of our biggest things that we started to see was that like these kids growing up in these homes, like the suicide rates are so high and it makes me emotional to even think about it, but it's been such a journey to just to um, go into these families and sort of help these kids connect with their families and to feel supported and loved in the place where you should feel most love and support. So it's still hard for me to talk about. And Dan does most of the talking and he really goes in and, you know, he's the face of it. He's like a massive superstar. So it really is like awesome to have someone like that at the forefront, kind of knocking down these barriers, you know? Yeah, but um, I I agree, and and I'm gl- I'm glad that you're emotional about it because I mean you know what I mean like it, it's such a human thing and like you said you see something you say something, and the thing is though it's not necessarily something I would have expected to come out of of because you have a good thing and you know why rock the boat and also because it's quite personal to to go against the thing that you grew up as. The last thing I want to know is because it was a little bit of a surprise that this new music was coming out, that the new videos are coming out. Is there a new leaf where you, where you would accept a certain amount of notoriety now, or do you, do you not want that to kind of disrupt the, uh, the The flow? Flow. (laughs) Yeah. Like what do you want? I guess that's a very long way of asking, like, what would you, what do you want out of this? I feel like everyone who gets involved with music with me too is always, they're like, are you ready to do this? My feeling is I want to own the rights to everything we do because you can't really make a living in music anymore. And my partner is like, I want him to feel eventually sustained off of our creativity. And I don't want to give up my my creative control ever again. Like I used to feel trapped in those positions yeah. uh, because I almost needed to. And that, that's really hard. So I never think about the end results because I'm just like thinking about releasing the awesomeness. And for me, it's more about like, it sounds funny, but it's almost like mu- fusing self-help and music together. Mm. Like I'm like, that is my kind of goal is to sort of figure out a way to express myself in ways that I can help other people through my creativity. So that's kind of what I'm exploring. And if that gets its own wings and it can help people like awesome. If not, like I'll do it the way I always have, which is like for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I <laughs> a mean, couple other people. There, there are definitely a couple of songs in this uh, EP that there's just no way that they won't be on some. It'll be like Beast again, you know, where there won't be on some television show at a very pivotal mm. moment or a movie trailer that is. I mean, Phoenix and In This Rough are are just 
you can see you can see the movie that they've created already. Right. You know? So I, I don't That's doubt awesome. that will happen. And uh, I wish whatever you want from this, I wish you for you. And I know that you. I love that self-help in music. I think a lot of music is that, but it's very. Mm. Oh, yeah. It. I know that I certainly shared it with a, a couple of people that I knew would find healing from it. And and speaking of the indie music versus being on a label, check out the Janine episode of this podcast to go in all in on that she's having the time awesome. of life as an indie artist after being on a major record label and uh, making more money than she ever has so that's awesome beautiful thing cool well thank you so much i'm gonna run thank you. hey I'm i wanted to say one thing yes. i just need to sing your praise like you are so inspiring and oh, i just i love you so much and honestly like you inspired me to do this big giveaway this year and give someone ten thousand dollars to start their business that's and so cool. it was like all inspired by you. And I just like, I just follow what you've done. And I just, I love you so much. You're so great. That's incredible. Thank you for telling me that I had no, no idea. Oh my gosh. I've been following you. I've just been like, I tell everyone about you. (laughs) I know her and, um, well, we go back. So (laughs) that's very cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let's Mm. keep, let's keep passing it, passing it forward. And and I love that back, man. That's, that's the thing. Well, uh, we'll be in touch and all right. Enjoy your time. Say say hi to everybody. I will. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Arlen. Thanks for listening to this episode. So I would love to keep up with you online. You can find me at Arlen was here on Instagram and on Twitter. That's A R L A N was here. I cannot wait to continue this conversation with you. This episode has been brought to you by Purple.com for all your mattress needs. Check out their sheets, their duvets, their pillows. And if you are really needing a more comfortable sleep, get that mattress delivered. Your First Million is produced by Anna Eichenauer, executive producer Arlen Hamilton, associate producer Chacho Valadez. 